Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 404 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, I may start losing my voice today. I have lots of liquids in here, but I was the officiant at a wedding over the weekend for the first time and married two of my really good friends, which was amazing, but started to lose my voice over the weekend. So that'll, yeah, that'll do it. And just do it. for a peek behind the curtain for everyone else, bad timing, because Jill and I are recording all the rest of the episodes for the year in the next, like, three days, because... Yay, holiday season. And because I'm out, like, after this week, I'm out until the new year, which I'm excited about. Same. Yeah. Nobody's in our office that time of year. No. Um, so we'll get to what we're... You know what? I kind of want to talk about what we did on Friday as a we team. We do that, It was yeah. super fun. Uh, so we had our uh, holiday outing every year. The marketing team that we're both on does a holiday outing. Do you want to describe it? I'm going to take a sip of coffee, but it's so great. So I'll let you like kind of start. In the... Okay. Um... <laughs> Sorry, I just, I'm about to like, choke. I didn't want to do that. I mean, we did a murder mystery party, but it was a type of murder mystery party where we each had characters to play and um, had... Everyone was given certain information that you could share or not share, depending yeah. on uh, your role. Um, yeah. And so we uh, somebody got murdered, and we had to figure out who did it. It I'm was circus-themed. S- yeah, it was, thir- it was circus-themed. I was a circus owner. Joe was my wife. They were like, you two probably see not enough of each other. I'll let you guys yeah. be in charge of everything. Uh, I found out I'm very bad at, at bribing people. They would just take my money. And then, that was one of them. Yeah, you did. You like walked over. You're like, hey, you know, it'd be great. A little bit of money. A little bit of some walking around Give me money. Give some more. And I was like, All some right. more. More, more. I guess it's a work. Like, <laughs> like our friend Christina, who comes down all the time, is also there. And her little son, all the time, he'll walk around and he knows the sign. He's a year and a half. He knows the sign language for more. And he was like, you'd be like, more, more. And I'm like, yeah, whatever you want. That was basically me on Friday. People were yep. just walking up to me. It was great. It was so much fun. Um, also, we have a team that, like, bought in, because that's one of those things oh, where... Oh, yes, they did. It yes, could have been, did. like, you know, not great if people didn't buy into their characters. But one of our uh, coworkers works at a theater, mm-hmm. so he had costumes for everyone. He did. He did. You had an awesome, like, fake fur. I did have a fake fur. Um, I had the long red tails of a circus owner. Um, and the murderer ended up being the bearded lady, which the person who played him, he... he did it really well. He was just like, I don't know what's going on. You can go see on the digital bookmobile Instagram. Joe and Marissa took pictures, and you did can they? see Marissa, who was the like tattooed freak, I guess, basically. Yeah. No, I mean that's what it would have been yeah. back at that time. DJ Inc. I believe DJ was the name. Inc. was the name. Um, yeah. So Marissa and Joe are our um, digital bookmobile team, and they took pictures, and you can go see on the digital bookmobile Instagram. Ah, oh, it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I wanted to talk about that briefly. Um, okay. 
So today, we are doing our best books of 2019, and then Jill also had the idea to do the best books of the decade. Which is honestly a terrible idea, because (sighs) (laughs) it was so much harder than I anticipated. So hard. Um, If you're new to the podcast this year, the way that we do our best books is we each pick our top five favorite books. And usually there's not too much overlap. There was one that we that we overlapped on that we'll we'll talk about. I picked the sixth one because okay. of that. Did you or do you want me to take I actually takes? have a sixth one okay. that I just like am That'll reading work. right now, but I can already tell it's gonna be a favorite of that's the year. That's fine. That's fine. Um so yeah, that'll be we're gonna do our top ten ish, but it's really two top fives of the best books of twenty nineteen. We can do that first. And then we'll do of the decade. Um, which I think you said you also did. Neither of us did 2019 books in the best books of the decade. I did not. Yeah, just because it's hard enough to pick five books in a decade that you like liked the most. So, <sighs> gluttons for punishment. Um, indeed, indeed. And before we get into that, if you want to get a hold of us, you can go to professionalbooknerds.com. You can find us at ProBookNerds on Twitter and Instagram. If you are doing our 2019 reading challenge, you have a few days left to send us uh, your completed sheets, which you can do at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And we'll pick a winner. We'll give a device out at the beginning of 2019. 2020. Yep, at the beginning of 2020. That's going to be the year next year. Um, okay, so we're going to get into our best books of 2019. Uh, do you want to start with your, what was your sixth one? Or is that what's technically my fifth one? You know what I mean? I mean... Just start your list, and okay. like you can do your six so, if you want. Okay. Uh, so the one, yes, yeah, so we're working from the bottom up. Correct. Okay. So uh, mine is Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. I had interviewed Lisa several a while back when her book came out. Um, this was the one where she uh, followed three real life women for um, ten years and did sort of an investigative journalism piece type book into their sex lives. Mm-hmm. I don't know how still so uh it was just it was really one of those books I've never read anything quite like it before in in ever. So um I yeah, I highly recommend it. Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. Mm-hmm. So my first one, my fifth best book of twenty nineteen, and this was also on your list. Uh shouldn't be a surprise. Not only is she our buddy, but we've talked about it literally all year long. The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Meara. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It's a mix of Mallory's own memoir about her life in Los Angeles working in the film industry, which she used to do before becoming a full-time author after the success of this book. And But it's chiefly about Mallory uncovering kind of the true story of the background of the person who created uh, and was a big part of creating the design of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Her name is Millicent Patrick, and there just wasn't a ton of information about her. So... Mallory has always been obsessed with the movie, and she learned that there was this woman who was very heavily involved that didn't get any credit, and then she couldn't find, like, anything about her. So this book is all about her kind of, like, journey to figure out everything about Millicent Patrick's life and give her the proper due. And then also she, again, like, splices in all of her own experiences as well, being in that industry. So, Mallory, we love you, and I even if we had never met you... (laughs) This book would still be the one of the best books I read all year. So. Accurate. Yes. That is accurate. Um, okay, my next one is Trust Exercise by Susan Choi. This was the National Book Award winner. This is a book. This is not 
what I'm about to say is not going to sound like a positive, but just go with me on this one for a minute. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about this book. Yeah. Because it's just, it's a complicated story that is not clear until the very, very end. It's one of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I read it in one sitting. Okay. <laughs> and even now, can't stop thinking about it. And so just, like, despite, I think it's okay. I mean... You know, I don't, it's not a book that brings about, like, a lot of nice, warm, lovely feelings. So I think that's where my not try I feel about it kind of thing comes from. Because I guess I'm not sure what I'm supposed to feel about it. Yeah. Um, But it, yeah. Like, it's one of those books that really sticks with you, um, like, months after yeah. having read it. Did you describe what it was about? It... it is about, um... It's, it's sort of like three parts, um, and I can't – it's one of those books where you can't say too much, but it's yeah. it's it's about a high school theater group in the beginning, um, a boy and a girl. There is a misunderstanding that happens, um, and that sort of sets everybody off on this trajectory that you don't really f- understand the implications fully in, until the very end. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, no, I know what you mean, though, because I noticed – all the books that I picked, both for this year and for the decade, I tend to pick books that is like they stick with me or they affect me in some way emotionally, positive or negative or whatever. But like it's a book that like moves my emotions and I can't stop thinking about them. So I, I would agree. Like it doesn't have to be. There's probably books that I had like more fun reading on my list that I didn't mention just because these ones like felt more like groundbreaking and important to me and like the way that they affected me. So I, I think I know what you mean. Um, one of them, which is my next book is the nickel boys by Colson Whitehead. Um, we had Colson on the show for his previous, uh, work, the underground railroad, which was amazing. And this is just as good, if not better. Um, so, it's basically the story of two boys that get sentenced to this just like absolutely awful reform school and it's in Jim Crow era Florida and it shows the experiences that they have um, the place is called the Nickel Academy and this is a real place that existed but this is historical fiction but um, from the outside the Nickel Academy as these types of places often made themselves look it, it looks like they're this reform school that's helping troubled people get better, um, young kids, both African-American and uh, and Caucasian. Um, but the reality is that the, it's like basically a chamber of horrors. Like there's staff that are beating these kids and sexually abusing them and there's corrupt officials and all these things. And the book is at times hard to read, but it felt really, really important and it was just incredibly well-written as all of Colson's stuff is. And then the ending just shatters you but it's again like you said it i didn't finish the book being like hmm that i want to go for a happy walk right but it was like just an incredible way to tie up the story so yeah nickel boys by colson whitehead was phenomenal my next one is the gracier by kim liggett uh this was a ya book that i read an arc of months and months and months before it came out and it was one of those books where I kept waiting for it to come out so I could talk about it with other people. <laughs> that was the downside to getting advanced copies mm-hmm. is that 
nobody else has them or very few people have them, but none of the people I would want to talk about like have it. So um, I've talked about this before, but just as a refresher, the Gracier is about um, a sort of like closed off community where every year the girls before they turn, um, I think it's 16 or when they turn 16 are sent away um, and only some of them come back mm-hmm. and the community never talks about it um the girls who survive and then go on to get married and have families are not allowed to talk about it and so we follow you know one of these girls as she goes off um and it turns into like hunger game style <laughs> this on this island um and i think it's a lot of commentary of course about just sort of the way teenage girls are viewed in our you know in society in general because they're sent away because they're thought to be dangerous and they have to like get all that danger out of them and whatever and then you know just this idea of teenage girls can be bitches man and (laughs) (laughs) just like eat each other like Uh just go and attack i mean so it's it's a lot of commentary on that um Listen, I saw Mean Girls recently. I uh, get yes, it. Yes, <laughs> I did too. And it's just like Mean Girls, but in, you know, like Hunger Games style. <laughs> mean Murder Girls. Mean Murder Girls. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I think this is definitely, this is not only is this one of your favorite books, but it's one of the books I've heard you talk about the most because, like you said, you couldn't talk I, about it. I couldn't talk about it. All yeah. I wanted to do was talk about it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, my third one is The World That We Knew by Alice Hoffman. Um, I interviewed Alice in the middle of the year, and then we released an episode with her. But uh, this book, much like a lot of her other works, it's a sweeping story that tells the life of a family. Um, this particular family is a couple of kids who escaped uh, from Nazi Germany and um they have the help of this golem or golem that gets created, uh, which is kind of a rare Jewish creature. It's a, it's a mystical thing in, in Jewish culture. Um, and the golem is sworn to protect one of the two girls, this Leah. And um, it's just, it, it tells the story of them trying to escape and how they survive in the the relationships that they form, these like everlasting friendships and family, lots of like family ties that of course get very messy, but just like it felt like a story that partway through, I was like, how is Alice going to, you know, tie all this up in a neat bow? And it's not a neat bow. Again, it's World War II. It's a historical fiction about World War II and escaping Nazis. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough on your emotions, (laughs) but it's so, so good. Um, and it's not based on a – it's ba- somewhat based on a true story. And if you go back and listen to our episode with Alice, you'll hear. But, like, a woman kind of told Alice a story about how her grandmother escaped from basically in a similar way, but without the, the magic and the golem and everything, of course. But, yeah, The World That We Knew by Alice Hoffman. Again, another book. I think every single one of these books on my list made me cry. <laughs> really. Well, yeah, Le- it's one of those years. Learned a, lot about <laughs> myself, learned a lot about myself making these lists. Um, my next one is Mrs. Everything by Jennifer Weiner. I interviewed Jennifer um, when this came out. It was a delightful conversation, I will say. <laughs> um, and so Mrs. Everything is about two sisters, and it follows them from the 1950s to the present as they're kind of growing up. 
um, and leading their own lives are complete opposites, uh, Joe and Bethy. And it sort of, um, I think, I can't remember now at the top of my head, but Jennifer and I discussed this in the interview. I think the book covers like four or five generations of women, oh, wow. or at least it mentions, like you follow Joe and Bethy, but like their grandmother isn't mentioned and then their grandkids. And so it spans as family and just sort of the dynamics of um, of women and sisters specifically um, in that way that that she does. And I just, I loved it. I loved it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's on my list of books to read for sure. Uh, my second book of the year is Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. Um, much like you said, obviously there's a little bit of a theme here. A lot of these are people that we interviewed because when we interview them, a lot of the people that we're interviewing have written incredible books. Yeah. So, um, listen guys, there's like 50 to 60 author interviews we do a year, so we're about to have some of those books stick with yeah. us. Uh, Magic for Liars is a, if you took, it, it sounds trite to do this, but it, it, it is true for this one. It, Harry Potter meets, but the thing it meets is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, it's magic noir. The main character's name is Ivy Gamble, and Ivy was born without magic, and she is a private in- investigator and basically like, lives her life telling everyone that she doesn't care about magic. She never wanted to have it, but um, obviously she's lying. Uh, her sister works at an extremely powerful and charming kind of young school for mages again very much on the harry potter hogwarts situation there and a murder takes place uh and ivy has to come investigate it and try to figure out uh what is going on and there is she does a really interesting thing very similar to a book that we've talked about a lot which is the rest of us just live here uh where the main character ivy is very much a secondary character in the actual story taking place itself, but she's the one we follow and she's the way that we see this story through. And Sarah did that by design. They told me, like, I wanted to show people that secondary characters are just as important, just happens to be who you're seeing the story through. So really, really good. Um, Yeah, if you like magic and if you like noir and if you like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey, right there for you. What's your number one book? Shockingly. <laughs> shockingly. Neither of our number ones are going to be shocking for you who have listened, I think. Daisy Jones and the Six. If you didn't have this on your list, I was going to be so mad. I was going to be like, really? By Taylor Jenkins Reid. Man, this book. It's so good. It is so good. It is so good. Reading it is good. I did it multiple times this year. <laughs> the audiobook is delightful. <laughs> Yeah, still mad. I can't listen to any of their music. Um, they have to like release something eventually, right? I mean, it's gonna TV, be. A well, I think TV with the TV show. show is coming, I'm assuming they will have something. But the problem is, you know, is that gonna be what I actually imagine it is? No, you know? of course not. There's no so way. It's probably better just to like pretend. Yeah. Um, but on the off chance you have not been listening to this podcast and have no idea what Daisy Jones and the Six is about. It is about the rise and fall of um, a 1970s rock band, very like Fleetwood Mac vibes, and it is told as an oral history. So you, um, it's not traditional prose. It's basically if you know someone had gone and interviewed all of the people involved from like 
the main like Daisy Jones all the way down to like the roadies and mm-hmm. <laughs> random people met along the way um, and just sort of spliced them all together this their interviews and their stories and it's just phenomenal it's so good if you had if I didn't know that it was gonna be on your list I it probably would have made mine um, yeah go read and listen to that book uh, also shocking my best book of 2019 is the Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern um, as I mentioned about our book, best books of the decade, neither of us put 2019 books on there. Uh, if I put a 2019 book on there, it would have been The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern. Yes, I would have done the same with Daisy Jones. Exactly. Yeah. Because uh, I genuinely think it's the best standalone book I've ever read. Uh, I read it back in the summer. The book came out in November. I have not stopped thinking about it. Um, somebody uh, on Twitter, actually an author, Catherine Locke, who we have had mm-hmm. on the podcast before, they summed it up really, really well. A way to describe the book is like, Erin puts so much faith in the reader of this book. She gives you these little bits of information throughout the story and little pieces of story. And then she dives into another part and another timeline. And like, she just trusts you to say like, store that information. It's going to be important. I promise you this will all work out. And it just does in the best possible way. Just like you said for Daisy Jones, if you somehow have not been listening to this podcast at all and don't know what the Starless Sea is about, it is a story about a a boy who discovers that he is part of a book that he didn't realize he was a part of. And then he also realizes that there's a whole world kind of beneath our world that is a book full of magic and stories and, and books and there's secret passageways and secret societies and there's just so much to this book that again she Aaron puts so much faith in you to stick with her and when you do you are it's just blown away like this is the book the way that the book ends it didn't make me sad but I found myself crying because like there was no more there's book more, yeah yeah um sort of like the it's like the Alexander the Great quote where it's like he looked out and he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer I was mm-hmm. like there are more no more pages to read yeah so um yeah just earth-shatteringly good I admittedly have not read it yet. I'm hoping to tackle it over, you know, Christmas break, whatever. Break yeah. like we're in school, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> vacation. Um, but I had a friend who has read it, and um, she snapped a photo and sent it to, like, one of our group chats. Um, I think it's – I have no context for it, but I think it's at a party, and they're talking about literary drinks, like <gasps> cocktails. Uh-huh. And there's just one cocktail called the Drowning Ophelia. And I was just like, oh, my God, uh-huh. that is just that level of brilliance mm-hmm. to come up with a cocktail called the Drowning Ophelia. And it sounded delicious. Yeah. And I would totally make it. It is. I, I love this book so much for people who, again, like maybe don't listen super or like haven't been listening for a super long time. Uh, I have literary tattoos all over my body. I am absolutely considering a Starless Sea one. There is a very specific part of the book, and you, it's on the book cover. It's not a mm-hmm. surprise, but there's a bee, a key, and a sword. Um, and I'm think, I'm noodling about on those. So, um, What was the sixth book? Was it – you said you had a – Oh, search. I I took um, – it would have been three women because I took Mallory's, Mallory's off. off. Yeah. My sixth one, and like I just am in, I'm like finishing it probably today. Um, Normal People by Sally mm-hmm. Rooney. Uh, I had so many. This was one of those books where I had so many people tell me to read it that I w- almost was like turned off, and I was like, okay, leave me alone. You know, it's, which is such a backward way of thinking. Yeah. But the more that people tell me, like you should really, and like none of them were like 
knew that the other one was telling me. I was like, whatever. No, it's so it's phenomenal. But I'm not completely finished yet, so I want to hold off. But that would probably be my sixth one. Um, should more should point out all these books are going to be in our show notes, which we forgot to say for that list. But here's our next list. <sighs> We're going to do the best books of the decade the exact same way. Um, and this was so... I have never wrestled with a list so much. We narrowed it each down to five, and I had, like, at one point, like, 19 books on there. And yeah, I just kind of kept putting them on and then taking them off and then moving things around. I would, like, bold one that I'm like, well, that's definitely on there, and yep. then I would have to unbold it, and then yep. I would, like, underline it and highlight it. Yep. I, needed a, I needed a Jill spreadsheet for this. I didn't even attempt a spreadsheet for this, although I did go back through my spreadsheet. Smart. Smart. Sometimes I forget books I read. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I can start this one. Okay. Let's start the other one. Okay. So my fifth best book of the decade. God, what a big sentence that is. Uh, the Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. And I feel like I want to give like some context for each of these. So Neil Gaiman is kind of the – he's one of the few authors that I have read, like one of the few prolific authors that I've read every single thing he's, he's ever written. Uh, I've read just about all of them. And I specifically remember reading this book. It's already working in, I was already working here, but we didn't have the podcast yet. And it was like the first book in a while that I remember being just blown away by and captivated. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. Uh, it is a, I guess it's like a fairy tale, but there is this, there's a story of this man who is, he's unnamed and he goes back to his childhood home for a murder or a, sorry, not a, not a murder, a funeral. Uh, and he starts remembering all these things that happened when he was there. Um, he still remembers his neighbors and this weird relationship he had with his neighbors and how he learns that they are magical and, like, they might be witches, but, like, good witches. And then this person moves into his house uh, who is sort of like a nanny, and the nanny is super evil and is, like, actually some kind of demon um and it just kind of unfolds where like this demon's sort of taking over his world and kind of bewitching his father and all these like things and he doesn't know how to solve what's going on and he uses these witches who are his neighbors to help him resolve the issue and it's a book about mystery and survival and like your memory and magic and like you're never really sure what in the story is real and what actually is in his, what's in his brain and all sorts of things but again like I remember this being the first book in a really really long time when I was working here before we had this podcast that like gripped me and I mm-hmm. couldn't stop thinking about it so Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman Mine is Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn Ooh, yeah I think there's okay so two things have I have this book on this list for two reasons one, I remember getting – I'm sure there are people who have still have not read this, so I'm going to try and keep this spoiler free. Understandable. Um, there is several twists that come throughout the book. Um, the first one um, just completely shook me. Mm-hmm. I, I just did not see it coming at all. I thought I knew what was happening. And then, oh, no, just kidding. We're just going to, like, totally flip this. <laughs> so that's the first reason because that, that takes a lot to do that. But also – um, we had an interview last week with someone where we talked to them about how they were sort of the, um, a book they'd written was sort of the catalyst for an entire genre. And I would argue that Gone Girl did the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there probably had been books 
similar, but I can't really remember them quite as well. I really think Gone Girl was the one that came out and everyone's like, right, husbands and wives killing yeah. each other. That sounds like a great idea. Even if there were books like that, and obviously there probably were, it super sparked the like interest again and yes. the explosion of those types of books. Yes. Yeah. So. I'm not telling too much about it, too. That was very impressive. I, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, my fourth one is Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney. Two Rooneys on my list. Look at that. that. <laughs> um, so this, the reason I love this book and haven't stopped thinking about it since I read it, I think two years ago, is it hits me right in the nostalgia. I'm a very nostalgic person. I, Especially this time of year, like I think about, about all the holiday stuff and like growing older and like the things I used to do with my family like going sledding and like mm-hmm. all the various stuff that like when you're doing it in real time it's never as amazing as you'll then look back and right. think about it um, and this book is all about that so Lillian Boxfish is now in her mid 80s and she lives in New York City and she it's New Year's Eve and she decides to take a walk because she is gonna celebrate New Year's Eve at this restaurant that she always celebrates it at and uh, she decides you know I'm just gonna walk there and it's a really nice night and so she just starts basically walking all around New York City and then what happens is it flashes back and flashes forward uh, flashes back to the 1930s when she was um, in a she was in advertising and she was the highest paid advertising woman in the country and like wildly successful and Again, like if anyone has listened to a while, you know, one of the crossroads of Jill and I is like 1930s, 1920s, New York City, very much like that time, that like jazz age. So she's remembering all the things that was going on when she was in charge of all that awesome advertising stuff that was going on right at that time. And then flashes forward to her thinking about all the stuff going on in the city and everything she misses. And it's just like this long portrayal of her life and not having some regrets but mainly just looking back in general and like looking through again like the jazz age and the aids epidemic and the great depression and even like the birth of hip-hop and all these these things she meets all these random people and has these incredible conversations with them um and it's just written in such a way that it makes you it will make you nostalgic even if you've never been to new york city and much like i am even if you're not 85 so. <laughs> um lillian boxfish takes a walk by kathleen rooney my fourth one is Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Hey, Colson. Hey, Colson. Welcome twice on the list. Um, so, yeah, we interviewed Colson about this book a couple years ago, which was just, that was a, that was, that was a crazy that whole was situation. That was a crazy day. <laughs> um, so, in Underground Railroad, um, Colson kind of reimagines the Underground Railroad and sort of what it is and um, it exists in this version of the United States that is not like the actual version of what the United States had been like in the 1860s and during the Civil War um, and after. And it's it's interesting because I've read, I I would sort of classify it as somewhat science fiction-y and speculative fiction. And I've, he, you know, has said like he doesn't, I mean, it's it's a book, and he just like wrote it, and like that, you know what I mean. Like he doesn't like apply labels to it in the same way. Yeah. Um. But I think it's you know one of those books when you get done, you're like, oh, that's not really how it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's it's just phenomenal. There are parts that are really really difficult to read, and I remember I listened to the audiobook 
I think Bonnie Turpin was one of the narrators. That actually might have been the first book I did where Bonnie Turpin was a narrator. I've shared my love of Bonnie Turpin many times. Yes. Um, and um, it just, there were parts that I was just in tears. And it's just, it's hard to read and so good though. So There is a scene, you mentioned speculative fiction, but there is a scene in that book that is written as good as any horror scene i've ever remembered there is yep. there's one of the main characters is in an attic basically yep. hiding yep. from a person trying to find them and just the way that it's written in this tiny space that they're in that was the scene i think where oh. i was listening to it and i just I couldn't yeah it's yeah. It, but it's just it's just this piece of writing that again it, the, the book itself would not be classified as horror but like i remember my heart mm-hmm. being in my throat while reading that yep so good. So good. All right. My third one is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Uh, Min was one of the first people that we had on. Well, not like first, but very, very early. early on. In like the first 50 or 60 episodes, I interviewed Min. And to this day, she's still like good friends. We follow each other on all the various social medias, and she'll respond to stuff all the time. She's a sweetheart. Um, but this book is in the – it starts in the early 1900s. And there's this teenage girl. Uh, she is in Korea, and she turns down this pregnant person. This or she turns down this wealthy man who uh, got her pregnant, uh, who is married. So he, ref- she refuses to like be involved with this anymore, and um, decides to marry a a person who is kind of downtrodden and a, a poor fisherman, and then like. It just kicks off this huge family drama that you then see through generations of this family, and it it um <laughs> excuse me, it is it's about love and sacrifice and all these different things. But it's like this family from Korea trying to find a home in Japan where they're not technically like they're not welcomed, and it, there's so many different parts of this, and it really struck me is it's a part of the world that I know really nothing about and an experience like these Asian cultures that if they see a different Asian culture like they really sometimes they just are immediately cold to each other for no real reason other than the fact that they're from a different country and like experiencing all of that and it it's just phenomenal and it like I said it's a it's a thing I knew nothing about and it's still like just shook me to my core so yeah pachinko is phenomenal my third book is Ready Player One. Yeah. Uh, by Ernest Klein. We don't have to talk about this. I mean. We can. We can't. It just it comes up a lot on the podcast, obviously, because we're big fans. Ernie, please come talk to us. Seriously. Um, I'm throwing this out there forever. But I just, it was, you know, one of those books that, again, I think I read it shortly after I started here. Um, and it was just so fun and really unlike anything I'd read up until that point with like gaming and video games and this sort of puzzle and logic and journey and you like he's clearly you know if you read it you're like oh I get it it's like he's in a video I mean it just Mm -hmm. everything about it is fabulous it's like I would like compare it to um like something like a food that I really love where like I could just like like Pie, pecan pies. I'm about to eat a whole bunch of them over the next couple weeks. Like, I could just have a slice of pecan pie every day. Yep. Like, I could read Ready Player One most days and just yeah. be content. And the audiobook, just... Will Wheaton. 
Yeah, Will Wheaton is one. Also, Will, come talk to us. Yes. Jeez, how many times do I have to tell you guys? The book rules. It makes me <laughs> happy. Um, my second book of the decade is A Place for Us by Fatima Farin Mirza. Uh, I got to be the first person to ever interview Fatima for this book. Um, not because they were like, we wanted you to talk to her first. Right. It just happened to be that yeah. I was in an event much earlier than the book came out. So I'm not like special. It just happened to be the first thing. But um, this book, she wrote it in her early 20s and it got released when she was in her mid-20s. And like just the depth of experiences that are in this book, I have no idea where she found the life experience to write about it. But it tells the story of this Muslim family, these uh, children that all kind of work together. And it, it, it tells them, it talks about their childhood. There's a couple of daughters and a son. And throughout the whole story, you get bits and pieces of, like the book starts when they're at this wedding. And it brings all this family back together. And they're trying to reckon with like all the choices that are going on that these children have made. Um, so there is this eldest daughter who is Hadia and her marriage is it's a, a marriage from love as opposed to tradition, which is very different for this family. And then there's Huda, who's the, the middle child, and she kind of wants to follow in her footsteps as well and like, do the same thing. And then there's they, they have a son, Amar, who's estranged. And so throughout the, the, the book, you hear all of the children's side, sides of the story and like why they are the way that they are. And you don't hear anything from the father's side of the story. There's just all these things that he does that you're like, wow, what a terrible, terrible father. I can't believe he's doing this. And then the last fourth of the book, you hear the story again from the father's point of view and justifying all the things that he's done, but also like kind of coming to terms with like, here's all the things I know I did wrong. And much like every other book on these lists, it just destroyed me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you just filled with such sadness for this family, but it's phenomenal. And this is this uh, more than any other book, over the past few years, when I tell someone to read it and they do, they like come back to me being like, oh my God, why did you, thank you, but also why did you have me read that book? So, so good. A Place for Us by Fatima Farin Mirza. My second one is Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. Um, I have a handful of books that I read every year, and this is one of them. And it was one of the first books I remember reading as an adult where. I really identified with the main character, Kath. Um, She went away to college and didn't really know anybody and had trouble making friends. She was doing creative writing. She wrote a lot of fan fiction. Definitely did that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And um, is into this fantasy series involving a chosen one at a magical school in Britain, (laughs) which is also when I discovered Harry Potter was in college. So... Just reading this, I I really, like, I got her, and I got the book, and I understood so much. And, of course, you know, Rainbow has turned it into this entire franchise, kind of, with um, the sort of spinoff books, uh, Carry On and Wayward Son, and there's a third one coming. And it's just everything about it is, like, it's kind of like the pie. Yeah, right? It's like a pie or, like, putting on a really cozy blanket mm-hmm. because it's just comfortable and familiar and gives you all the warm feelings. Mm-hmm. And I just, I adore Fangirl. Yeah. It's, so, it's such a good book. Okay. 
my first book of the decade. Um, this is this one is the one that I did not struggle with. This is the one book on this list that I knew for sure. Uh, this is Where It Ends by Marika Niekamp. She is the first person I ever interviewed for this podcast. She has since been on numerous times. Um, I remember reading this book. It was going to be, I think it ended up being the fourth episode of our podcast mm-hmm. ever. I remember reading it before I was going to go interview her at in a trade show. And reading it and being like, okay, um, this is going to be a New York Times bestseller. Like I went into our director's office and I was like, this woman has not released a book yet. This is her debut. This is going to be a bestseller. He's like, really? I was like, yes, I'm pretty sure. And then it went on to be a New York Times bestseller for like over a year. Um, when I think about like what this book means to me, like I said, this was the first, she was the first author that ever came on the podcast. And I just think about like without it intending to do so, like this podcast has very much become at the, the company first off, like kind of defines a Mm -hmm. lot of you and I, like people, like people who start here just like by nature now know who we are. And it's, it's a very cool thing. And I love that this is sort of like part of my personality and like who we are as people. Um, but also outside of the company, like I've met so many people now because of this podcast that mm-hmm. are like, oh my God, I'm a huge fan. I listen to you guys all the time. Like that's never going to stop being cool to me. And to me, that all starts with this is where it ends. So um, like I said, Marika has become like a genuine friend of ours mm-hmm. and comes on all the time. Um, but this is a story of a school shooting. It's fictional. It takes place over 54 minutes, um, but it goes like kind of minute by minute. It shows you what's happening and um, it's at a fictional school. And uh, Marika is from the Netherlands, and she wrote a book about an American school shooting um, because she was sort of like fascinated by this idea because it's not something that happens where she's from. And she was over here, and um, yeah, she just was like captivated by how this can keep happening. So she tells this story, and it is upsetting and it's hard to read, but I do it frequently um, because it's. Th- Despite being such a dark, dark, dark story, it ends with hope. And that's kind of like Marika's like ethos on all of this is at the end of the day, like no matter what happens, there's reasons. There's always reasons to be hopeful. And this is a, kind of a book that really defines that. So, yeah, this is where it ends will always be one of my favorite books because of not only like how good it was, but because of all this stuff for you and I that it's helped sort of launch. So that was my soliloquy. I love it. Thank you. So my number one book of the decade, whew, man, was Homegoing by Yagasi. This book is just so incredibly well-written mm-hmm. in the way that makes me kind of jealous, but not too jealous because she deserves like all of the love and accolades for her writing because it's just phenomenal. Um, so Homegoing is her debut novel, which also kind of blows my mind. Yep. Um, And it follows um, two sisters and their descendants. They're half-sisters. Effia marries... They're in um, uh, Africa. Uh, Effia marries a British... uh, like, military guy, and so she lives in um the the military barracks and then her half sister essie is held captive in the dungeons below and so the story then follows these descendants down several several generations 
Um, I remember there is, I think, I forget who the publisher is, Penguin Random House. Um, they have a family tree on their website. I remember going to look for it nice. just to make sure. Um, so it goes back and forth. Each chapter is a different descendant sort of down the line. Um, and, you know, the entire time I'm I'm reading this, I listened to the audiobook as well. And it's a phenomenal audiobook. Um, you know, half the story is is stays in Africa and then um, the other half they eventually the line ends up in um, the American South and it's it's going to a conclusion that I kept hoping for and I didn't know if it was going to get there yeah <laughs> but it did and I'm just like sobbing because <laughs> uh-huh. just I mean it's just it is such a wonderful book um you know, again, because of the history of what she's talking about, there's some difficult, you know, things that she covers. And it's, you know, at times challenging to read just because of that. But it's so, so well written. Yeah. I It's been a long time since I've read a book that is, is as well written as that one. Just the imagery and the writing and everything is just phenomenal. Amazing. So there you go. That's our best books of 2019 and our best books of the decade thank god we don't have to do that second list for another decade because uh, i think that's how much time i'm gonna need to recover um as we mentioned everything's in the show notes uh if you want to let us know what your favorite book was just shoot us an email or tweet at us or instagram dm us. don't don't dm us on instagram i feel like I, we never check those ever so tweet at us or email us um anything else you think people should know I don't think so. I don't think so either. Okay, well, I hope you guys enjoyed this very, very book-heavy episode of (laughs) the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.